African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here for a new week of African Dialogue. Can you believe it's we in the third month of uh, 2017? Definitely this year is speeding through. Thank you for giving us your time right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue right now with me, Benjamin Moshatama. Remember, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Channel 802 on the audio book, www.channelafrica.co.za is where you can listen to to us as well. Recently, the World Health Organization, or WHO, published its first ever list of antibiotic-resistant priority pathogens, a catalogue of 12 families of bacteria that pose the greatest threat to human life. The list, which is divided into three categories according to urgency of the need for new antibiotics, critical, high and medium priority was drawn up in a bid to guide and promote research and development of new antibiotics. Last week witnessed a global debate on the report. In this special edition of African Dialogue, we bring you that debate. The speakers being Dr. Marie Paule Kearney, who is the Assistant Director General of the Health Systems and Innovation of World Health Organization, and Dr. Nicole Magrini, who is a scientist, innovation, access and use of essential medicines, and Dr. Carmen Pessoa de Silva, who is a coordinator of antimicrobial resistance. The news is that we are publishing a list of the top 20 drug-resistant bacteria that require prompt action from the scientific research community to develop new antibiotics to treat them. They have been identified by a group of international experts led by WHO and the University of Tübingen in Germany according to the best evidence available and strict criteria. You will find the full list of those criteria in the press release. But to sum up, the four Key things we looked at were, first, the level of resistance to existing treatment, second, mortality rates, third, prevalence in the community, and finally, fourth, burden on the health system. This is one of the several WHO work streams to address antimicrobial resistance, which must be tackled from several angles and in a comprehensive way. This new global list clearly sets three priorities for research and development of new antibiotics. Critical, high or medium to convey the level of urgency for the antibiotics needed. I must highlight at this point that Mycobacterium tuberculosis, the bacteria responsible for tuberculosis, was not included in this exercise as there is already consensus that tuberculosis is the most important priority for R&D for new antibiotics. Now, the critical priority category includes multi-resistant Acinetobacter, Pseudomonas, and Enterobacteriaceae. This is truly urgent. 
these bacteria are responsible for severe infections and high mortality rates, mostly in hospitalized patients, transplant recipients, those receiving chemotherapy, or patients in intensive care units. While these bacteria are not widespread and do not generally affect healthy individuals, the burden for patients and society is now alarming and new effective therapies are imperative. The high priority category includes bacteria that can occur in healthy individuals, such as gonorrhea, salmonella, campylobacter and helicobacter pylori. These infections, although not associated with significant mortality, have a dramatic health and economic impact on communities and in particular in low-income countries. Plans should be in place to integrate new antibiotics against these pathogens in the R&D pipeline in the near future. The third priority, which we call medium, includes bacteria that represent a threat due to increasing resistance but still have some effective antibiotic options available. So why do we need such a list? Well, until about 30 years ago, the world was seeing tens of new antibiotics being approved and coming to market. But today, just when resistance to antibiotics is reaching alarming proportion, the pipeline is practically dry. The problem is clearly one of scientific nature as new antibiotics are becoming more difficult to discover. But low market incentive is also an issue. Antibiotics are generally used for the short term, unlike therapies for chronic diseases, which bring in much higher returns on investment. There are also market distortions to consider. Indeed, rather than seeking to maximize sales of a new antibiotics, which would mean it would lose effectiveness earlier due to resistance, there is a need for stewardship to reduce the use of antibiotics and slow the inevitable development of resistance. This is why the global list is important. It's not meant to scare people about new superbugs. It is intended to signal to the scientific community and the pharmaceutical industry the areas they should focus on to address urgent public health threats. For example, the list will provide guidance to new R&D initiatives such as the WHO-DNDI Global Antibiotic R&D Partnership, or GARD-P, which is engaging in not-for-profit development of new antibiotics. The list is also meant to spur governments to put in place policies and incentives to promote basic research and advance R&D by both publicly funded agencies and the private sector investing in new antibiotic discovery. What could be some of the incentives look like? Well, Jim O'Neill, chair of the UK Antimicrobial Resistance Commission, for example, has suggested that companies that develop new antibiotics should receive market entry rewards of one billion US dollars, so they recoup the cost of R&D as soon as the drug is launched. The money would be paid on condition that companies are responsible for stewardship, ensuring antibiotics are available when needed, but not overused so they lose their effect. This would de-link profit from the volume of sales and make development financially attractive.
Jim has also proposed a US dollar $2 billion global innovation fund to kickstart a new cycle of early stage research and generate inputs for pharma industry pipelines. China and the UK have already pledged 72 million US dollars to the fund. So, with this list, we are also asking governments to commit funds to R&D to address antibiotic resistance now, in order to reduce the amount of resources that they will need to spend later when resistance to antibiotics develops into an even bigger crisis. My final message is this. This list is truly an example of society or the public health community requesting that R&D responds to an urgent public health need. Governments and industry must work very closely on this if we are to find new weapons to fight growing antimicrobial resistance. Thank you, Dr. Kinney. We will now uh, take the first question. Helen? I was just wanting to ask, is there any reason to believe that the research that's being done to develop new uh, antibiotics is not focusing on these priority pathogens? Um, I mean, some of these issues have been, you know, well enunciated in the past. I would think that these would be the targets that pharma would be working on. Yes, of course, you know, there is a lot of investment, a lot. There is growing investment now and new renewal of interest in, in, uh, in uh, development of uh, um, antibiotics. But what we are saying here is that we may also have come out of the development of very broad antibiotics, uh, which are used, can be used against a whole range of antibiotics, and we may now be, have to focus on antibiotics which would be specific for much uh, smaller range of, of bacteria. And so in this list, we want to make the point that if it is possible to develop antibiotics which, which target specifically and exclusively some of the critical pathogens, this would also be welcome. Thank you, Dr. Kinney. Other uh, comments from our expert here in Geneva? Nicola Magrini would like to add a few words. Well, I would like to add uh, a comment on the fact that currently the pipeline in the last 10 years has been richer in research on, on gram-positive agents that uh, probably have... Uh, well, on one side, are, are less difficult uh, to, to tackle somehow. They generate less resistance, less easily, but, but also can generate wider markets. So the idea to specifically try to, to shape the agenda towards uh, the most severe, though with small market uh, gram-negative for severe infection restricted to the hospital is a strong message for which we should try to find new incentive and new mechanism to sustain and, and, and the, the, the investment that the industry could be making in the near future. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We will take a second question uh, from uh, Deborah McKenzie. Deborah, please go. Go ahead. Hello. Thanks very much. Um, I'm wondering about, I mean, you've, you've rightly stressed um, the, the very um, lethal kinds of infections that, that these agents can create in hospitals and healthcare settings. But I'm wondering about the very common um, bacteria, um, uh, bacterial infections, especially gram-negative infections. Um, uh, and I'm thinking particularly of urinary tract infections here that are increasingly um, resistant to the available antibiotics um, and, in fact, in some cases are, are becoming untreatable. Um, presumably that must, um, although the, the mortality isn't high, the, the number of people who are infected um, must make that um, of equivalent concern, although perhaps not according to the criteria you've used here. I was wondering if you'd sort of thought in terms of, of uh, numbers of people affected versus severity. Thank you. Um, Marie-Paul, do you want to take this question or uh, Nicola is I, also ready to help? I think it would be good that if Nicola could highlight the, the criteria because indeed uh, what has been mentioned is part of the criteria used for this exercise. Nicola, over to you. So yes, in the third uh, listed uh, or third ranked family in Enterobacteriaceae is included Escherichia coli that can be responsible of uh, severe infection in, in, in catheter-associated uh, infections. So, yes, that is highlighted. That could be also um, a potential market. It is not a, a, a rare infection, but still is not, is not at all an easy, an easy target. And I was just highlighting that research has spontaneously uh, directed itself toward gram-positive. Nicola, we will go now to Christian Ulrich from DPA, uh, based here in Geneva. Christian, over to you. This is a, a layman's question because we are writing for the general uh, market. How many people are affected? Is, can you give us a rough estimate how many people would benefit from um, antibiotics being developed for these 12 families? And can you elaborate a little bit on the problem in nursing homes? Because that seems to be affecting a va um, vastly bigger number of people than the ones you mentioned, transplant recipients and chemotherapy patients. Nicola? In the preparation of the, of the evidence summary for, for our expert, um, Prevalence and incidence of each uh, each uh, diseases were were quantified to 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 contribute to the ranking. Um, some of these infections can be can be accounting for um, hundreds of thousands of infection worldwide. We didn't go for for such an estimate right uh, right now. It will be part of the. Uh, final report that uh, there will be a, 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 a very rich report today. We publish only an abstract plus the list in order to contribute to G20 discussion in the forthcoming months. The full report will be ready by by June, and um, some of these uh, numbers will be available as have been in previous reports. And um, certainly, the burden of the disease is there, 
but for uh, for 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 the for the critical ones um certainly is the severity and 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 high mortality rate that 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 drove their their ranking maybe to add some comments we have uh, joining by phone professor evelina taconelli she's the head of the division of infectious diseases at the university of tubingen in germany and also she's a major contributor to the development of this list uh, she's uh, on the phone professor are you hearing us yes i'm here yes. thank you maybe i can just had a, a very short comment on the last two questions uh, that we are making a very important point uh, for us it was very important not to underestimate the burden of this disease in the community because I totally agree that the burden of healthcare-associated infection is important, but the urinary tract infection, for example, in women and in the elderly population, are having an amazing burden in our community, as well as nursing homes. So we try to have this information included in our criteria. So we have two specific criteria. having specific focus uh, on nursing home transmissibility as well uh, for infection that do not have a mortality, high mortality at least, has a urinary tract infection, but do have high burden in the community. So the system is calibrated to give importance also to this infection as well. Thank you, Professor. Um, we'll go now to another question from Mr. Vinia, Financial Times. Just a quick question on the on on what drug companies should be doing, and and you talked about incentives earlier on, and and market um, market distortions. Um, is it down to the companies, or is it down to public health systems, or should they be working together? Can you outline what the kind of program of work should look like? And, and the second question. Um, how urgent is this work? Um, could you give us some sort of sense of what happens if we don't have this work done within the next, you know, one, two, three, five years? Uh, Dr. Kini, I can, ta- I can take this one. So uh, what is important is that the public health uh, authorities and uh, um, are clear with the pharmaceutical industry about what is needed, what are the public health needs. And this is why the, the list of uh, priority Um, bacteria is important so that that they know what uh, are the attempts, uh, the um, expectations, sorry, the expectation of of public health officials. So after this, there there must be a collaboration because indeed, uh, and this was mentioned several times and I also came to that, you know, there is somewhere a market failure because uh, if we want to develop new antibiotics, it's not. To, uh, to use them larga manu like has been for the previous one so that uh, the resistance grows so quickly that in very few number of years they are, uh, they are of no use anymore. So we need first, as I said, the help of the public sector and the public health officials to identify the, the targets and then we need to collaborate with the industry to find ways of doing research which makes it that 
the, the, the research uh, is not something that the industry has to uh, pay for alone without a hope of being compensated as a right level. So this is where the, the incentives and the work of, uh, of uh, the UK and uh, uh, in particular of, of Jim O'Neill is important in, uh, in the sense that it, uh, it puts on the table new models that could help uh, the industry to take interest in this development uh, and invest, therefore, in R&D without, uh, at the end, needed to recoup their investment uh, by volume sales. So this is, this is a collaboration that we need to have between the public and the private sector. Now, in terms of urgency, as you know, it's not because you de decide that you should uh, discover and develop new antibiotics today that they will be uh, tested and available for use tomorrow. So this is why it is very important to, to start now as quickly as possible in order to have down the line in uh, three, five, ten years to have the antibiotics that, that we need. Thank you, Dr. Kinney. Now we will take uh, Deborah McKenzie who has a follow-up question. Up to you, Deborah. I was uh, intrigued by uh, Dr. Magrini's mention of um, a lot of work um, on new agents apparently being directed towards gram-positive infections. Um, could you tell me, or could one of you tell me, um, why that's happening, and, and what in particular are the infections that are receiving the, uh, the attention? Dr. Magrini? In my view, it's mostly linked to look for similar uh, antibiotics or uh, inhibitors of lactamase where more work has been done toward finding new combinations or, or new chemical structure that could tackle this. So, so there was a stream of work directed towards these um, gram-positive pathogen that was, um, let's say, streamlined and probably more easy to undertake. Also under the, the perspective that these could be larger markets. As you know, antibiotics are often approved on a small number of indications or studied mostly on, on simple, often soft tissues um, infections with non-inferiority trials and then used in a wider range of infections or when needed because of sensitivity testing. So that, that was probably more straightforward. And um, researchers know that uh, on, on gram-negative that are the sources or uh, more easy sources of difficult to, to combat resistance it has been more, always more difficult to find new antibiotics. So the group, uh, the working group was quite happy of the final result, indicating gram-negative as the top priority. Uh, this should foster and support um, much more uh, basic research science too. So this is an invitation also to, to public agencies to fund more research work and, and bench work on on gram-negative in general, because the discovery of an antibiotic is, is truly a complex uh, um, task and um, not at all something simple and straightforward. So we have to go back to, to, to basic research and then think about uh, uh, quicker development. We will now ask uh, Professor Evelina Taconelli if she has something to add. I think Nicola already um, 
gave a, um, a comprehensive answer. Um, maybe I can just uh, add from clinical point of view that these clinical trials uh, for multidrug resistant gram negative are very difficult and expensive to do more than for gram positive because when we talk about gram negative we need to cover multiple pathogens and not just one or two as the case of gram positive with different indication. Uh, they cause uh, a skin infection more rarely has uh, gram-positive, uh, and obviously uh, a clinical trial on skin infection is very much easier to, to make uh, as, for example, on ventilated-associated uh, pneumonia for the gram-negative. Uh, the diagnosis is very much more complex for gram-negative than for gram-positive, and there is a lot of cross-resistance among antibiotic classes that we do not see for the gram-positive. Positive. So it's very much an economic and uh, scientific issue to keep a trial on this type of pathogen till the end and to build it up. And that is one of the reasons why until now, in the last year, we really had a very few trials covering multidrug-resistant gram-negative bacteria. Thank you, Professor. Uh, we will take now another question from Helen Branswell. Helen? Hi, thank you. Um, I need to ask a stupid question. I need to, uh, some help explaining to lay readers the difference between gram-negative and gram-positive, and I know that it's about staining, but that doesn't really tell anybody who's not a microbiologist very much. So could you please um, give me a sense of how to describe gram-negative bacteria, you know, what families of bacteria typically they encompass? Uh, how, how can I differentiate between these two, please? Professor Taccolini, maybe this is a question perfect for you? Uh, okay. Uh, I try to do it in one second. Um, I would say that uh, there are two families uh, for many, um, from many aspects very similar. But the gram-positive that could be dangerous, uh, and I refer here to our list uh, for the health, um, are uh, mainly colonizing the nose um, and, let's say, the skin of the healthy individuals. Uh, when we talk about gram-negative, we find this gram-negative more frequently uh, in the abdomen of the individuals, in the stool, colonizing the intestine uh, of the healthy individuals. So this is, I would say, the most important issue, and for this reason, they cause different patterns of disease. And at the moment, the gram-negative being uh, in the intestinal uh, uh, reservoir, they can give a very severe sepsis and very severe urinary tract infection, in particular in elderly population uh, or in immunocompromised and in hospitalized patients. Thank I don't you. know if this answers your question. Let me, let me. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, we will have also a comment from uh, Dr. Carmen Pessoa da Silva uh, from WHO. Carmen? Yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, Evelina has already provided a very, very wide and comprehensive explanation. I'd just like to, to remind everyone, when we talk about gram-negative, we are also referring to bacteria that cause serious infections in hospitals and uh, that are not necessarily colonizing the intestines, like Evelina mentioned, but may be contaminating equipment and leading to surgical site infections 
infections, also uh, respiratory infections associated with uh, support, uh, ventilatory support. So, and this has been a major challenge for modern medicine because these bacteria, they are really um, spreading very frequently in healthcare facilities and we also need to address them. Thank you, uh, Dr. Pessoa da Silva. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educate and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now we will go to Don McNeil, New York Times. Don? Hi, thank you. Um, does the WHO have an overall world estimate of how many people die of drug-resistant infections each year? Um, I know the United States estimates about 23,000. The European Union just estimated last week about 25,000. But I'm trying to find a world overall world estimate, even if it's a couple of years old. And just coincidentally, do you realize how messed up your website is? I've been trying to call up the simple page, antibiotic-resistant infection, uh, you know, frequent, and it, the connection constantly breaks, and it's been happening for a week. And if I'm having trouble from New York, there must be people all over the world with worse Internet connections that uh, can't get any WHO information. So I'm basically asking, do you have an overall world number for deaths? This would be a question for Carmen. Well, thank you very much for your question. Uh, the short answer is we do not have right now an accurate uh, response to this. Now, uh, we are working on to improve the capacity to respond to this. One of the reasons for why we do not have the overall mortality due to antimicrobial resistance is because we do not have in the international codes of disease any indication that the cause of death was due to antimicrobial resistance. So exactly to address this issue, the international codes of disease is being uh, revised to try to then to include uh, the, the, the code in a way that in the future we'll be able to, to measure the mortality due to AMR. So this is one aspect. Uh, but I, I, th I have to say also that although this is not right now available, uh, 
in addition to the International Code of Disease, the WHO has launched the Global AMR Surveillance System exactly also to build the capacity to globally measure the magnitude of AMR on human population. Thank you for your comment on the website. We will be uh, looking at this issue um, it needs later on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Maybe Don. Somebody Thank at the you. Gates Foundation who have connections to Microsoft can help you. <laughs> We will look at this. We have also uh, a, a very good uh, uh, colleagues dealing with web issues. If, if we have any other comment from the experts, if you want to add something. Well, if I can add something, actually there is, uh, I would like to uh, uh, highlight the momentum that there is right now on understanding the threat of antimicrobial resistance and also on trying to do something in order to address the problem now. So this is, this is excellent. It must be done by, by several uh, um, uh, angles, if I may say. Uh, it must be done also by having a one health approach. So this is why WHO is working very, very closely with uh, OIE for the animal health and FAO for uh, agriculture. And, and it is only on uh, working together across sectors and across the public and private sector that we will be able to resolve the issue. Uh, resolving the issue has a mix of very different intervention. Of course, you need R&D for new antibiotics, and for this it is important to identify which are the, the uh, the bacteria which are the most important, and this is where our priority list is, is a first step forward. But we need also to look at how to uh, how best to have a stewardship with these antibiotics to avoid that they are overused and misused and many other elements that are needed, as was uh, highlighted in the, in the AMR Global Action Plan that was uh, presented and endorsed in, uh, in the UN. Over. Thank you, Dr. Kini. Um, I, I can see that we have a, a follow-up from Christian Oelrich from DPA. Christian? Yes, hello. I will also try again on the numbers because this is what all my clients are going to ask me. I understand that you cannot have, uh, you cannot know how many people die uh, of this resistance, but do you have estimates or do you think that the estimates that my colleague uh, from the New York Times mentioned or somewhere in the, in the right uh, ballpark. And my second question from before was, what is the situation in nursing homes? Why is there a particular problem and what is that particular problem? Carmen, do you want to take the first question on numbers? Well, uh, the first question on numbers, as I mentioned, uh, this is a work that uh, is in progress. But what we can say in terms of numbers right now is that we have demonstrated that the, the infections caused by antimicrobial resistant pathogens, they increase the risk of death by two to three times um, and uh, to some of the, the priority pathogens that are listed here, particularly in the priority one. So, uh, the, the total number of affected people we do not have, but we do know for sure that there is a significant increase in the number, the risk of um, uh, death if uh, the person is affected by a resistant pathogen. Thank you, uh, Dr. Pessoa da Silva. Uh, maybe uh, Professor Evelina Taconelli would like to respond to the second part of uh, Christine 
question about the nursing house, and it will be the last question for this session. Thank you. You're welcome. So, um, as I said before, the nursing home are really an important setting together with rehabilitation center and every type of healthcare associated uh, facility that not only the, the hospital. And the reason for this is because in the nursing home there are a lot of uncontrolled usage of antibiotics because unfortunately uh, there is no always a doctor that is present in the nursing home. So when the elderly, uh, they have fever, it would be very difficult to make immediately a diagnosis. And so the usage of, uh, of antibiotics is really not always driven by needs of the patients. So the elderly are usually immunocompromised by definition and they have a high risk of infection, in particular urinary tract infection that could be also sepsis with a urinary origin. Um, and it's very difficult to have infection control within a nursing home. So if there is one patient that would be colonized with an ESBL in the urine uh, or one that would be incontinent, it's very difficult to control the spread of this microorganism within the structure. Uh, and just a very short comment about numbers. So I know media, they love numbers, but as a scientist, I really have to say that in this case, it's very dangerous to keep trusting all the estimation. So the estimation are needed to to tell us where we should focus our research. But I think we know that we have a mortality up to 60% of our patients for severe infection with antibiotic-resistant infection. We know that ESBL is up to 70% in many countries for urinary tract infection. And I think this is enough if, if we don't know exactly how millions, but we are talking about millions of people affected. Thank you, Professor. Um, any last? Pamela, if you if you would allow just me a comment about the difficulty of having uh, uh, exact figures about mortality, Thank can you. I? Yeah, please go go ahead. Okay, so if I can make a, um, an analogy, uh, you remember uh, a number of years ago when uh, there was so much, it still is, but so much there was so much mortality about HIV, uh, and indeed people dying out from HIV were mostly of them dying from also another disease, Kaposi uh, sarcoma, you know, all, all the diseases associated with, with HIV. So the difficulty was at that time to decide how to attribute death to a disease or another, and it, it has now come to attribution to HIV. But So for uh, if you look at antimicrobial resistance, people dying of antimicrobial resistance die of uh, primarily a bacterial infection, and then uh, the resistance is another factor. So what is happening right now is that a lot, there is a lot of work to see how antimicrobial resistance as, a, as one of the factors leading to death can be coded so that uh, it, is, it is recorded in the, in the death statistics. So this is, it looks very technical work, but this is to avoid double counting and there is good, uh, good hope that uh, soon a solution will be found so that it was, you will not have confusion about the cause of death anymore. Thank you, Dr. Kini. Thank you for these comments. Um, we, we have other comments from Dr. Magrini. Nicola, please. Yes, two comments. One is when we are planning for uh, an update, and the update is currently planned 
in a, in a very long time frame, three to five years from now, because the, the trends are not changing so rapidly. However, um, also again on, on burden of disease or counting the, 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 the number of people who could be affected, um, we had we re had to rely on on published studies, and uh, the best available evidence is what has been published or, or made available. So certainly, some some countries and some regions of the world are currently underrepresented in in, in available studies, meaning that uh, we need uh, to invest in 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 research on resistant at local level more in order to to have those uh, data that uh, Dr. Pessoa was mentioning that are needed but are not there in all countries. That's why a global estimate is, is, is some, something not easy to extrapolate. Thank you, uh, Nicola. I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you for being with us today, uh, our experts from different parts of the world and also the so many journalists joining us by phone. Well, that's where we end this edition of African Dialogue. Join us tomorrow when we bring you a live coverage from the Africa to Africa Women's Conference taking place in Port Elizabeth in South Africa.